Hello and welcome to the first edition of the Which 50 Works podcast from Customer Minds. My name is Johnny Parks, co-founder and CEO, and today I'm delighted to be joined by Adam Thornburg, managing partner at Bridgeforce, to discuss the new consumer duty rules that are being rolled out in the UK by the FCA in 2023. Hi Adam, great to have you with us today. And first up, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and Bridgeforce? Yes, um, well, thank you for having me, Johnny. Um, it was a pleasure to speak to you. Um, my name's Adam Thornburg. I'm a managing partner at Bridgeforce. Bridgeforce is a um, consulting firm. And I suppose the kind of brief summary of what we do is um, all sorts of things around lending and payments, I suppose, is the the kind of um, the, the very high level view. So we work with lenders of all shapes and sizes in most of the kind of retail lending asset classes, so credit card and loans and mortgages and some of the small business asset classes. We work in payments uh, increasingly, um, which obviously is a kind of ubiquitous thing for almost everybody who works in financial services. So we do lots of work in payments um, and our um, or what we consider to be our unique selling point is is our experience. So our tagline is real experience, real results. And that comes from the um, the kind of career history of people like me who work for Bridgeforce. So I am a fairly typical Bridgeforce person in that, although I've been at Bridgeforce for um, 10 years now, the previous 12 years of my career were in retail banking. So I worked for um, uh, you know large banks and medium-sized banks dealing with change and risk and collections and all sorts of things which are extremely relevant to our client base. And the the approach we take or the um, the value we think we uh, provide for our customers is that a lot of the people that work for Bridgeforce have done a lot of the similar roles that our clients have. So we're, you know, we, we've sort of walked in their shoes and understand the, the kind of responsibilities and the accountabilities they have. And we think that makes us kind of better and more efficient at, at solving those problems. Great. And our topic for today is the new consumer duty regulation that was uh, published by the FCA earlier this year and is due to come into effect from July of next year, 2023. Can you give us a brief overview on the new regulation and what it means for the banking sector? Sure. So the way I think about consumer duty is that it's the logical evolution from treating customers fairly to the legislation around how you deal with vulnerable customers. And it's broadened the the scope of responsibility for obviously for banks and for you know, lenders but also other kind of retail finance product providers at a high level the the kind of timeline for consumer duty um, is that it goes live in terms of people are kind of obligated to meet the requirements um, at the end of july next year but at this point in time being today november the 30th 2022 all um, organisations who are subject to the regulation need to have had a, a plan approved at the board level in how they're going to meet those obligations by the 31st of October. There are some different deadlines in terms of, kind of live products versus closed books, which would obviously apply to, you know, particularly the kind of insurance side of things and investment side of things. But the, the timeline, you know, it seems a long way away July next year, but we know that that will come around very quickly. And there is quite a meaningful amount of change, in my opinion, that a lot of financial institutions need to um, get under their belt between now and then to be able to adequately evidence the um, their kind of meeting of those obligations. And the, the FCA has been, I would say, quite 
pointed in the language they've used about their intention to enforce and to audit and to spot check. Um, so it, it feels to me, at least, as if the the, the kind of rhetoric around um, what they're going to do post the the deadline passing um, is going to sort of manifest in probably some quite you know, close scrutiny of, of a number of sectors and kind of individual organisations and um, putting the money where their mouth is in terms of enforcement action and and um, the, the kind of sanctions that go with that. Um, and in terms of the, the actual obligations themselves, the again, it's a bit like treating customers fairly and, you know, that type of legislation where like every single company we've ever dealt with, all of our clients and all of the people we've spoken to are all trying to achieve the the kind of concept of um, making sure that you've got an inclusive product set, making sure that you're offering value for money, making sure that there is a very tangible link between the, the kind of cost of a product and the benefits that the um, that the product gives to a consumer and also to um, making sure that customer feedback about products and about their experience is woven into the product development process like nobody that we've spoken to doesn't think that's a good idea so from that point of view I don't think it's um, uh, I guess particularly new conceptually um, the way I look at the the wording of the obligations and the regulation and the the kind of rules is more about the creation of the necessary audit trail and the, the kind of data basically to be able to evidence that you've done these various things as opposed to the kind of cultural and conceptual side of things where you know as I say all of our clients all of our prospects that we speak to um, have this a very as a very central kind of tenet of their kind of customer treatment strategy. So I think a lot of the heavy lifting is about how you weave um, things like consumer feedback in a very transparent way into your product design process and you know how regularly that feedback is used to either um, tweak or adjust you know propositions or features or benefits whatever of the the product set that you're selling i also think that in the context of dealing with financially vulnerable customers and the fca has been um again, quite kind of clear on their expectations in terms of um, expecting financial services providers to really care for their their customers who are facing, you know, financial stress as a result of the, the kind of cost of living crisis, which is you know, ongoing and going to get worse before it gets better. So I think a lot of the the effort, and this is really valuable effort that um, our clients and, and you know, people in the sector will be doing is to really um, strengthen the interventions that they make with customers in a what would used to be called a kind of preemptive sense so um, not waiting for customers to miss payments or to show kind of tangible signs of financial stress being more um, uh, kind of communicative and more educational I suppose um, throughout the life cycle of a product being held but also being very quick to um, intervene and to provide um, Kind of tailored support to consumers um, who either you know through the way that they're using a product or through other sort of um, intelligence that the that the lender gains about them rather than doing the more binary 
you've cancelled your direct debit for the loan and we're going to call that preemptive activity, which, you know, in reality, that's not really preemptive because obviously the stress has already manifested itself in somebody deciding that they're not able to pay their next loan payment. So it's really bringing that a lot earlier in the process and in the relationship with the customer where there's more chance of being able to do things in a meaningful way before kind of arrears or, you know, structural affordability issues emerge. And I think part of that is, you know, reporting and data and getting a handle on exactly what um, your kind of definition of people showing kind of early financial stress. But it's also, I think there's a sort of cultural thing or a cultural is the right word, but there is a, um, a kind of another design principle, which is you're not going to get it right first time and being open minded about, I guess, reacting and then amending your approach to this customer base in the hope that you're going to get you know better at it and having a you know, test and learn approach or a champion challenger approach whatever the kind of terminology you like um i think is really important and from a kind of senior management point of view being um on board with the idea that a good outcome is talking to a customer as opposed to having to tie outcomes of these conversations to some sort of you know, impact on a bad debt number or something, which again was, in my experience at least, you know, say 15 years ago when we were first looking at preemptive activity, it was very much about what can we do now, which is going to make our debt flow number different and and reduce our kind of provisions. That was the the kind of big rock, I suppose, that we were trying to influence. Um, so yeah, so I think conceptually, it's not changing the behaviour or the intent of how you treat your customers it's it's about putting a lot more rigor around the the collection of data um, increasing the number of interactions you have and then really being quite um, transparent and I don't know what the other word is but being transparent and clear about how you're acting upon the information or data but both that you get from your customer base as it as it relates to your product set, the way you treat your customers, the availability of, you know, communication channels, that type of thing, um, and doing that in a way which you can kind of stand up to the regulator and say, look, this is how we collect data, this is how we react in these different situations, and this is the the culture that we've got embedded in the organisation, and importantly, the kind of central thing we are trying to achieve at the moment is to offer good value products to the right customers where it suits their individual needs um, and giving them the the chance to interact with the organisation in a way which is preferred for them, but also in a way which doesn't close any doors or stop any conversations happening, be they digital or verbal. Uh, and Adam, it's not it's not just about banks, obviously, is it? This is about much more than than and sort of just the banking sector. Yes, that's right. So it applies to um, the, the retail financial services sectors. That includes, you know, insurance providers, um, lenders of all shapes and sizes, um, who manufacture products, financial services products for for retail customers. I was going to say, are there any particular journeys in your experience of working with different organisations? Are there particular customer journeys that you think need particular attention? Um, you know, across clients or even in your own experience. Well, I think the the one which I mentioned in that um, kind of commentary there uh, near the end is is one of the the, the, the most 
kind of personal journeys and that's the how do you treat with people how do you treat your customer base who might be struggling financially but haven't either told you that in terms of i am going to struggle or haven't done anything which gives you a a kind of binary data point to to suggest that they are that they are struggling financially and that's the that's really a, a, well there's there's a lot of kind of conundrums there in that you don't want to um i guess insert yourself into a situation where you're not going to be helpful and one of the the kind of difficult things that we were trying to manage when I first started looking at preemptive strategy years ago was it can be a bit disconcerting if your lender rings up as it was then because it was you know pre-digital if your lender rings up and says we're worried about you but doesn't have you know much more than that in terms of what they can share because you can you know a it's kind of this is an odd conversation b is this a real conversation? So, you know, we, we know that unfortunately there is such a proliferation of, you know, kind of like banking related kind of fraud scams where people are, you know, directly contacting consumers. And also, um, what options can you offer them or what help can you offer them if they say, yes, actually I'm in financial distress. And this is the sort of, you know, it's very easy to kind of understand or to summarise from that point of view, but it's quite difficult to operationalise in my opinion. So I think, I think being able to agree on some kind of ground rules in terms of what are we trying to achieve with these interactions with this customer base and having some kind of success criteria, one of which being you don't want to be scaring your customer base, you don't want to be annoying your customer base, you want to be giving them reassurance that you're there to support them in the event that they are in financial stress. But you also want them, if they're not in financial stress, you want them to be able to leave the conversation or the interaction feeling like there is that support there, as opposed to just feeling slightly kind of confused and, you know, odd about the interaction. Um, So I think that's a journey which, you know, depending on what you're selling and depending on what sort of customer base you have, you know, there's huge, there's a big range of kind of flavours of that conversation. But being able to um, kind of engineer that type of process um, and then collecting data and information which enables you to then refine that and apply it to a, a wider group of customers or you know different segments of customers I think is a that's the kind of a big um, conundrum for, for a lot of our clients I think um, and it's a conundrum that will inevitably be um, partially solved at least by judicious use of technology um, and data in a way that um, kind of being able to use your internal data is one thing, but being able to locate and um, kind of ingest data from external sources to add to your internal data, I think is where you get the the kind of the magic, as it were, from a, this type of conversation, because it it is very binary to say all we're going to look at is your credit worthiness almost internally in terms of your risk score or how you're behaving on one of our products. So if that's a, a kind of instalment product, which you've missed a payment or you're cancelling a direct debit or something. But the reality is that in this day and age, most people have, I don't know how many, but lots of different financial services providers. And so it really is the um, the kind of the customer in the round that you need to be able to understand 
enough about to be able to have that conversation. And particularly given that depending on where you are as a lender in the sort of priority or non-priority debt hierarchy, will probably give you a different view of the overall financial stress of that customer. So we know that, you know, we all have our priorities in terms of, you know, just in terms of our budgeting. And, you know, the last thing that we let go, you know, you know, it might be Sky TV for some people, but the last thing we let go for other people might be, um, you know, paying, you know, their minimum payment on their credit card. Um, whereas, you know, in reality, um, the sort of priority debt debate between those two things is is you know, slightly different. So um, I think it's it's being able to use data from other sources in a way which augments your internal data, being able to turn that into a kind of coherent interaction where the customer understands the motives for the interaction, but also understands that it isn't just a, you know, you're being put on notice almost that, you know, that the lender thinks something is amiss. It's really about reaching out with solutions and and ways of alleviating that financial stress, which might just be educational, but it might be more um, uh, might be more significant in terms of you know forbearance activities or or looking at ways to um, kind of defray you know your kind of outgoings um, by you know term extensions or other kind of mechanisms like that. So I think that's a that's a really interesting. Um, area which I think will be I think the kind of results or the effect of the legislation will be to increase a great deal the the investment that lenders are making in in kind of pre-arrears financial stress conversations which I think would be good for society in general but also very good for the the sector um, particularly as it comes to the kind of mechanics of you know capsule adequacy and things. I think it, that it, it has to be a kind of virtuous circle, I think, to, to speak more to your customer base and to understand more about the, the sort of true financial situation they're in. Yeah, I think um, when you talk, talk about the technology or data-driven um, solutions or where they can fit, um, we'd have examples from sort of the, the mobile telco sector where we would yeah. have built journeys for, for one of the UK's large um, telcos and they do identify using the data which messages um, or nudges to send out to certain customers, but then in the journeys themselves, the customers offer choices. So they they get they are offered different options, different choices. Sometimes the the options that are presented will be based on that data. So they might, if they're being given, say, a payment arrangement, they might be given a, a longer period of time based on certain data that the um, the organisation would have about them, their credit risk, their um, capacity to to repay and things like that. But tracking all of that is critical in terms of the evidence that the FCA would be looking for, I presume, right? So, that, so in other yeah. words, to be able to say, well, we did offer, you know, Adam Thornberry these options. He actually chose not to, you know, engage, so, but we have the tracking and the evidence to show that we we, we offered the right options and um, he chose not to, or he chose to engage and then, you know, dropped out of that process where all that data which is being collected I guess is the sort of evidence that the FCA will be looking for. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it really is a kind of like evidence and verify type approach, which I think they'll be taking to this. Um, I think the other kind of point about the kind of whole, you know, pre-arrears, preemptive financial stress conversations is, I believe, I expect the FCA will also be looking for, um, I guess, coherence or consistency across an organisation and how they view that 
consumer. And I say that because, um, again, from personal experience, when we were, um, I guess, pioneering is probably not the right word, but when we were doing kind of early preemptive activity with with um, our customer base 15 years ago, one of my previous employers, we built a scorecard which we thought was quite good at identifying people who might need to have a conversation and would need some support. But we found that the people who were sort of selected by that scorecard, there was quite a large number of them who were also selected by other scorecards in use in the bank, which were designed to identify people to sell stuff to. So you can you can easily imagine a, a situation where on one side of the house of a lender, you've got some really kind of good, mature data from these interactions. And on the other side of the house, you've got the potential that those same customers are being targeted to you know effectively spend more money with that organization which will be done in good faith and will be done for the right reasons and will be done for you know to enable them to benefit from those product features but it doesn't look very good from a, a kind of joined up coherence point of view in terms of how the, the organization treats that customer holistically so i think that's something which Again, it's kind of a simple concept to explain, but it's kind of harder to um, to execute in real life just because of the way that, um, you know, different parts of an organisation are structured and the, the the sort of, I guess, the value chain which different people have responsibility for. So I think that's something which will, will need um, organisational um, focus. And I mean that in terms of actual like org focus, like who actually has responsibility for the the end-to-end customer journey, and what's the hierarchy of um, you know value in terms of monetary value versus the um, the, the kind of obligations to um, to consumer duty and other you know similar um, pieces of legislation. Yeah, it's a really interesting one because I guess you would have thought traditionally the customer journey is owned by you know whether it's customer experience or marketing, you know, um, with probably limited involvement from compliance and risk, except for maybe reviewing wording. Uh, whereas actually what you're saying there is, is, is that compliance and risk comes right back into the, the midst of the, of the journey because, because of the regulatory requirements. Yeah. And I think that the, the kind of customer care function, the, you know, the, the, the sort of, you know, which traditionally has, has been, you know, at the end of the customer journey, um, those people and those kind of experience is what's needed to design and manage the the kind of early intervention conversation. So yeah. it, it kind of feels like the the kind of traditional customer care um, responsibilities you know, start sooner, and their input and impact on the customer journey is felt, you know, at, at different different parts of the journey than than has been the case for you know the last x many years um but again it's like and I, I think everyone understands this that there is a customer or a consumer whichever phrase you want to a, a person in the middle of all this who is um uh buying products from you using products that you've sold and then you know also has other you know a financial life which your product sort of fits into so 
it's kind of putting them front and centre and and really the kind of the uh, Pavlov's hierarchy of needs, as it were, is that they're they're kind of number one. So you need to make sure that they're getting what they need from what it is that you've created and and kind of manufactured for them as a product. Um, but never losing sight of the fact that regardless of where you sit in the organisation, regardless of what you know job title you've got, that's the, the kind of like, that's the end focus really of your of your, of your activities. I suppose look, that's it's great. Um... To hear those views. I mean, when you look into next year um, with sort of the deadline emerging rapidly in, in July, do, do you see, um, uh, have you seen a kind of a flurry of activity around um, people looking to get support with this or is it something you still think will, will everybody leave it till the last minute? I, I don't think people are leaving it to the last minute. I think people are making, um, I think what will probably happen is that there will be what you could, probably call tactical solutions which will be ready for the July deadline but everyone that I've been speaking to has a strategic plan you know more often not enabled by other new or enhanced technology to put something more durable and you know say more strategic in place but I I I, I don't speak to anyone who's being anything other than very focused on this and yeah. and that goes from you know you know, much smaller lenders up to you know large very large institutions so i i genuinely believe that there is a um a kind of like common goal really for everyone we've spoken to that they see this as being a, an incredibly important piece of legislation in terms of the effect it will have and they are treating it as such when they're prioritizing resources and and you know putting people to you know to bear onto the onto the topic but i do think the way that it's going to be executed will evolve in that we all know that it's quite difficult to get big technology projects in quickly and you know if you've got however many whatever eight nine months left to do it from now and if your plan has only been signed off by the board on the 31st of october or around that time then that kind of window of opportunity doesn't really give much wiggle room to put you know significant new infrastructure in place so i think i think there'll be some some very capable kind of tactical solutions that go in place um, for the July deadline, but with a kind of parallel activity going on to, you know, really shore that up and make it, you know, kind of bulletproof as it were from a technology point of view, which will also have huge amounts of kind of complementary benefits in general. So, I mean, I think most people I've been speaking to aren't looking at this as a, you know, this is a standalone piece of work. We need to meet our consumer duty obligations. It's it's almost an opportunity. It's a kind of like foot on the ball moment to, um, you know, what can we do which meets our consumer duty obligations, but also just makes our kind of business better and um, makes us more efficient at collecting data, makes us better at listening to the voice of the customer and, um, you know, makes us refocus our product design, our proposition, our customer care functions, all this type of stuff um, in a way which um, kind of evidences by deed the uh, the words of the of the legislation. I think it'll be great to um, check in with you probably. It'll probably be in about a year's time, right, and see, you know, how, what's, what's our view and particularly your view and the view, and the, view of the organisations you're working with on, on how far they've been able to progress things and, you know, the 
the uh, the tactical changes that they've been able to put in place, the strategic shifts they've been able to make. But it'd be great to look at it again in yeah, so 12 months' time and see what's different. Yeah, no, I would agree. Excellent. Well, listen, thank you very much for joining us today, Adam. It's been great. Um, and uh, we look forward to checking in with you again in, in, in 12 months' time. Excellent. Well, uh, I wish you a good day. And to our listeners, I hope you enjoyed our very first podcast and we'll be back next month with our next episode. And don't forget to like, share and subscribe.